instead of doing an interview this week, uh, this upcoming month is mental health month, the month of May. And I wanted to share my story about mental health. I've had a lot of amazing guests on here who are very transparent and open about their stories. And so I thought I would do the same uh, and share my story in its entirety. For me, it was very therapeutic to sit down and record this. I thought it would literally be like an eight minute recording. And obviously, if you're listening to this, uh, you probably see that it it was much longer to go through the journey. Without further ado, uh, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. When I was three years old, I told my parents I wanted to go to the Olympics someday. From that day forward, my entire life was sport. At 17, I made the Canadian Junior National Snowboard Team, and less than a year later, placed in the top 10 at my first ever Junior World Championships. I was well on the way to my goals and still improving when, in 2015, I decided to step away or retire. So what happened? In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, I wanted to record and share my full mental health journey and story. Whether you're an athlete or anyone who's ever struggled with mental health or has people in their lives who do, which almost all of us do, I want you to know first and foremost that it's okay to not be okay. Over the past couple years, we've seen a lot of people who we all thought because of Instagram or whatever else were extremely successful say that they're unhappy. Whether they have all this money or they've achieved an Olympic gold medal, just wasn't enough. So while there's a lot of different parts of my story that I could share, I want to share the mental health part and hopefully spark a conversation for anyone who's going through this to know that it's strong to go and seek support and help or make big decisions that improve your overall mental well-being and even just make decisions in your life based off prioritizing your mental health. So yeah, growing up, all I wanted to be was a pro athlete. I had a lot of different passions as well, but I kind of always just knew that was my route. I fell in love, like absolutely fell in love with the sport of snowboarding and ended up giving up competitive hockey and basically all the rest of the things that I did to go all in on snowboarding. I was basically self-taught until I ended up by surprise, making the junior national team when I turned 17, snowboarding had just been announced. Slopestyle snowboarding had just been announced as an Olympic sport for 2014. So they created this new national team program. And I just happened to have the results from the past season that aligned to getting me onto the team in 20, uh, 2011. From there forward, the kind of the plans that I had, I still, I had planned to my dreams of making it and being a pro snowboarder. Uh, I wanted to move out to Whistler and do that kind of whole thing. Um, but they all kind of changed when I made the junior national team. I had to hire a coach, strength and conditioning coach, sports psychologist. Um, I had to hire a snowboard coach for the first time. And so I ended up moving and living down about just over, I think, around eight hours away from home where there was like the closest uh, high-performance snowboard program that I could be a part of. When I say I went all in, I went all in. My 
family didn't have a ton of the resources that it takes, you know, to send me around the world and compete and pay for coaching. I was lucky that some of the tuition that my family had saved up for me to go to school, I was able to put towards uh, snowboarding at that time, as well as I just had to work a lot of different tough manual labor jobs uh, to pay for, for my snowboarding, which to the detriment of missing out on a lot of training camps, competitions that would happen in the summer in Australia and New Zealand. But I was willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. The first year was extremely humbling. I had to relearn basically all the basics. And I think that was a really good year for me just for my ego coming into it. Uh, I was kind of like a big fish in a small pond. And then suddenly I was small fish in a very big pond. I went from winning contests to being thrown into the world of World Cups where you're against the best in the world who are 10 years older than you and you're fighting for, you know, a 20th spot, which in hindsight, 20th in the world sounds really great. But back then when your goal is to be the best, it's like nothing is ever enough. And so for me, that was definitely the issue that I think kind of led to everything looking back is that I was so completely tied my self-worth to my accomplishments. Everything that I went through from just bullying, teasing, people saying I can never do it, all these things in my head, I was like, I'm going to prove them wrong and I'm not going to be enough or happy until I get there. And when I get there, then I can be like, now I've made it. And, you know, just kind of go back and all those tough times and those things that I went through, the judgment, the just kind of being alone and doing my own thing, it's it would all be worth it then. There's tons of fun that I had during my four years competing at the top level of snowboarding. But looking back, because I was so achievement driven, I really just sucked all the fun that could have been had out of it. Instead of enjoying the process day by day, I would get upset with myself when each day I didn't meet a specific goal. And that's the thing with snowboarding. It's like, for example, if you were a hundred meter runner and you said every day you need to improve your time by one second, imagine you didn't hit that. First, it's probably an unrealistic goal to set, but two, you're setting yourself up for failure versus having the mindset of just putting in the work and doing the best that you possibly can technically, uh, being present, just having a good time and enjoying the process. Every day I would have these goals. I was like, if I want to be the best, this is the tricks that I need to land by the end of the season. So back it up month by month and then day by day. But weather would change, different things would happen. Uh, you can't really control the timing of how you land your tricks. For some people, it might come first try. For other people, it might take years to land a certain trick or make a certain progression. And so having my whole worth and goals, my whole worth and just sense of satisfaction based off achieving these goals every day and not meeting them led to me being my own worst critic and just beating myself up day after day after day mentally. Eventually, this kind of manifested into a really bad panic attack. I had no idea what it was at the time. My season was starting to end. Uh, I think it was springtime. I was just coming back from a great trip in Whistler. And I remember being my aunt and uncle driving me to the 
driving me to the subway in Vancouver so that I could take it and go to go visit my cousins who lived near the airport. So I'd always kind of stay there before I flew in or flew out. I remember I had all my luggage. I got there and it was rush hour. So I get down to the bottom of this subway station. I'm waiting for my train. Um, my aunt and uncle couldn't drive me all the way across town because there was crazy traffic and they had a meeting or a dinner or something to go to. And each train that came by, I think it came by about every 10 minutes, was full, so packed full. And it was all people in their suit and tie coming home from work. And none of them would let me on to the subway. And realizing like, not only can I squish, but I have all my bags, like there's no chance I'm getting onto the subway. Another one would come by and some people would walk. I've been waiting, like waiting for like an hour. I've been waiting and waiting for multiple subways have passed to try to get onto one. And people would come from behind me and just like pass me as if like I was invisible. And I just remember just that feeling of helplessness. Like I couldn't get on the subway for some reason, just triggered something. And I started hyperventilating. I started crying in public in the middle of the subway station. Uh, luckily I had like this candy bar in my backpack and I just sat down and ate it, but I could not catch my breath enough to give someone a phone call. I couldn't stop crying. And I was someone who kind of just never really showed my emotions publicly when it came to feeling down or feeling low. I just, at that time, I had no idea what was going on. And I was just not, it was just really scary. So I was able to call my aunt and uncle finally. I think I texted my cousin saying I was going to be late or something was happening. Try to see if I could even take the bus. And I just didn't even know the routes and feel like I, I think I couldn't get service down there. So I had to like get up back to the main level. Uh, finally, my aunt and uncle, they, they came and they picked me up. And they ended up driving me to my cousins, which was with traffic, probably like an hour drive. Once I got there, I probably stayed in the car for another hour. I just could not catch my breath. I was still crying. I could not talk or speak or explain why I was feeling like this. It just was one of the scariest moments. And at the time, I just thought, wow, what? Like, who am I just to cry at the fact that I can't get on a subway? Like, what a privileged thing it just, I was again, just really hard on myself. And so I was able to get over it. Uh, I remember I've always been really upset whenever I have to leave my aunt and uncle. I love them so much. So I was just equally upset once they finally dropped me off. Uh, and then I started, you know, feeling a little better. And of course, one of those things is I feel like after one of those anxiety or panic attacks, if you've been through them, you kind of have like a hangover after where you're just like, what was that? That was nothing. You try to brush it off and you just kind of feel like you need to bounce back into your normal self as fast as possible because you were kind of scared and stunned by the situation. So that's basically how it went. And once I got home, of course, my family had heard about this, my parents. And so my mom sent me up to go and see a counselor. So I went to go see this counselor, but I went with my mom. And at that time, I just was kind of scared to talk to a third party. And so my mom ended up sitting with me. But then likewise, because she was there with me, I just didn't feel like I wanted to open up fully to, to this other person. And for some reason, this other person decided to focus mostly on my athletics. And so despite the fact that she wasn't a sports psychologist, she kind of just gave me tips of like, visualize the top of a mountain as your happy place, or if you feel performance anxiety, this is what to do, but nothing that I was experiencing 
had anything to do with feeling nervous in pressure situations when it came to snowboarding. In fact, throughout most of my athletic career as a during my childhood, my teen years, pressure was something that I really thrived under. Like I love that pressure of being in the last inning and pitching or, you know, playing hockey in the last minute of the championship game. You have to score another goal. Otherwise, uh, you're going into overtime. Like those moments is really what I live for. And so definitely what I was struggling with wasn't that side of things. So needless to say, I didn't have a great first experience. And so I didn't go back and I kind of brushed it off again. Then I remember having another panic attack when I went to one of my mom's best friend's house for dinner. Because of the way I was progressing in snowboarding and how I felt other people had more resources, they were able to go to more training camps, travel more, go to other events, they've had coaching for longer, uh, they were learning tricks faster than me. I thought like the best way, how can I be the hardest worker? And so that meant I was extremely meticulous in how I trained in the gym, uh, as well to prevent injury, get stronger, be more powerful, as well as how I ate. And I think I just kind of became a little bit too obsessive about how I ate, like everything I counted, every calorie, uh, I would be completely thrown off if I ate something wrong or was, or like missed my macronutrient count. So yeah, back, back to this party. I just remember all of a sudden just panicking because the food and how hungry I was by that point. And when she came home, I didn't realize she's making pasta. Well, at that time I was counting all the carbs that I ate, which is so funny because now I eat so many carbs. I literally just live off carbs. And as a child, I had a very fast metabolism and literally lived off so many carbs and yet was so tiny. So anyways, for some reason, I just was like, I can't, I don't have that many carbs. I just need protein and there was no protein. And so I just started hyperventilating all of a sudden. I couldn't control it and I started crying. I mean, I guess it was probably a mix of panic attack and hanger. And I went into the bathroom to be by myself and I called my dad and he's like, do you want me to pick you up? My dad was very good at avoiding these Latin events um, because he doesn't speak Spanish. He is from Canada uh, and he knows how these things go with the late dinners and things. So I was not warned. <laughs> so again, I just didn't do much reflection. I just wanted to rebound and go back to my happy-go-lucky life and not think about these things. But there was a few things now that I've realized about some of these, these panic attacks. Again, this focus on everything having to be perfect and that I would not be enough if I didn't make it to the Olympics, if I didn't become this top pro snowboarder in the world, this goal that I had about being the best, my worth was so based off having to achieve that, that all these small things that happened just really triggered me. I think the one in the train station that really came from this, just this feeling of homesickness and just that struggle of the whole season, just, you know, battling through injuries, battling through dealing with not being where I thought I should be at that point in, in my career, uh, things just not going the way that I had, which really was unrealistic expectations. And I think that's really how it manifested. And just knowing the season was over and I wouldn't get a chance to improve upon my riding or whatever it was until, you know, like six months later. 
So one thing I didn't mention so much was just my story of injuries. As much as I trained in the gym and I was really strong and and fit, I was able to prevent a lot of muscular injuries. But in snowboarding, like especially when you're hitting jumps of the size that you're hitting and onto rails and metal objects, like there's going to be things that happen, whether it's concussions, broken bones and things that, you know, no amount of strength and muscle mass really can prevent. And so there was a lot of those things that happened. There was a lot of things that happened with politics and judging and things that were really hard to deal with mentally, especially, you know, when you're 17, 18, 19 years old and you're still just growing and maturing as a person and trying to deal with this world of trying to be a professional athlete, trying to make it to the Olympics, trying to impress coaches, sponsors, trying to just hold it all together. And, you know, you're surrounded by people of all ages, younger, older, it's, it's difficult. So it's like, you have to do a lot of maturing and you're thrown into a lot of different and new situations, especially for me, just coming from where I came from. It was like a whole new world. Action sports, like snowboarding is not a world free of judgment. It's not like the judgment I experienced as a child. I just didn't have when I entered that world, there's still a lot of it as well. And so I really just try to fit in and I really cared about, you know, people liking me, despite the fact that I did do things different. I didn't go to as many parties. I took two years where once I became legal and everyone was partying, I didn't drink because I thought that would help me get ahead in snowboarding, especially if a lot of my teammates and competitors were partying. And it was frustrating when the next day after a party, they would just land better tricks than I was when I, you know, put in that extra work. But that's the thing with life and with sports, you know, matter how much work you put in, that's not, you can't control the results and you can't control or compare yourself to others. One of the harder things to deal with for me was I always had the Cinderella story in my head. So although I was very young, so 2018 was my more realistic Olympic timeline, especially being that I was part of the junior national team and not the senior team uh, at that time, was was that though I still had this idea in my head, I, I had a chance in 2014. And, and I did. I still have the Olympic team contract that I signed as someone who had a potential chance at making it 2014 to Sochi. That time, Canada had opened up two qualifying spots. I was pretty much injured for most of the season uh, leading up to those qualifiers and during the qualifiers. But we had about, I think, two World Cups left. And one spot was taken by one of the top snowboarders in the world who happened to be Canadian. And then there was about five or six of us, a handful of us that had a shot at that second spot. And so I just thought there's still a chance. And I think in sports, you still have to believe that, but because I was so tied to results that really set me up for just not feeling great when things didn't work out. So I gave it my all at those world cups. I think I placed so 30 something and 20 something perhaps. Um, but it wasn't good enough. I basically had to win those world cups against the people who went on to the Olympics to win the Olympics, like all the best athletes in the world. Uh, if I wanted to even qualify and get that spot. So I remember I got to watch one of my best friends compete in 2014 in the Olympics. At that time I hurt my AC joint. So I was in a sling early morning watching and immediately again, just rebound, bounce back. What's my plan once I get this injury healed up? for making it to 2018. All this time, I had just been neglecting a lot of warning signs, both with my mental health, with things that I'd questioned about, is this still the sport I wanna do? But I always shut down because I've invested a decade of my life into this. How could I ever give this up? I would be a failure if I give this up, was what I thought. So 
on I pushed and I always just neglected these things. I didn't ever dive into them. Uh, I didn't really, you know, we work with a lot of sports psychologists, but again, it was mostly just for sport performance. And so I just didn't feel like I had anyone really to talk to about these things. And even my parents could see it in, in my eyes and my expressions and the way I talk. They just said, Natalie, like, are you sure you want to keep doing this? And they were, they gave me the permission to quit if I wanted to, but I just couldn't accept that in my mind. I, I just couldn't. And so even to them, I didn't open up about what I was going through. And I just, you know, even though they could see what I was going through, I just denied it. I said, no, I'm not. Like, I'm fine. During my final season, there was definitely a turning point that caused me to step away. Uh, I remember that year, I, that's when I started getting into CrossFit. And I finally kind of felt like I had this community. Everyone was pretty stoked when I joined the gym about hearing about my snowboard background and, you know, my goals with that. And that I had a chance of going to the Olympics and that I was training to go to the Olympics in 2018. It was a very interesting experience and really good for positive for me. I built a lot of great connections and friendships and just felt this sense of community. And it was cool to have that sense of community, like right at home. Like, it's not like I had to travel across the world to go meet up with my friends and have this sense of community. It was like right there, like 20 minutes away from my house. So I, when I left for the season, I was kind of just upset to leave. I was excited, but like, I just had finally built this, these friendships like right at home. And it's something that I just never really had. So I left for the season and immediately had this weird feeling like a pit in my stomach. And it was like, I'm living the dream. Like I'm literally in Whistler that I always dreamt of since I was 13 of just being there for an extended period of time. I'm, you know, training nonstop. My literally, like my life is snowboarding. Like my full-time job is essentially doing the sport. I have sponsors. I'm part of the national team program. I am training for the next Olympics in 2018, fresh slate after 2014. And I just wasn't happy. Every morning I remember just, for some reason, I just didn't want to go snowboard. I, and I just didn't know what it was. I just didn't want to. I wanted to be at home. I wanted to be experiencing, you know, the lead up to Christmas with my family. Uh, hanging out with my friends. Just, just doing things. It was, it was really strange. So I remember journaling a lot, doing different things. I, I still just didn't feel like I could share that with anybody because... Even the new friends that I had met, I just thought like maybe they only want to be friends with me because of what I'm doing. Because like now I'm a snowboarder and it's different and it's cool and whatever it was. And so I and I, of course, I've given so much of my time to this. Like, you know, will I have another chance in another sport? What will I do now? There's other things I was passionate about, but like I was prepared to do them later. And so it was just a really tough time of trying to figure out what exactly am I dealing with here? And so in, during the season, one of the biggest pivot points was I ended up going to this co uh, competition in, I think in Pennsylvania. And one of my teammates had a really bad crash. Um, that competition was poorly run as were a lot of competitions. Uh, it shouldn't have gone forward. The weather was bad. The jumps weren't built well. Almost 50% of the competitors either got injured or dropped out, which is like unheard of in most sports. 
I think I was one of two athletes from Canada in that competition that ended up being able to actually make it to the finals day and not be injured. Um, so two girls that I had traveled with, uh, one ended up breaking her ankle and needing surgery. And the other, which was the worst was she went over her front edge and, uh, landed like on her front ribs, I believe. And she was spitting out blood. She had broken her ribs. She had internal bleeding. Uh, she was spitting out blood and asking me whose blood it was beside her. I remember I was going into shock. I had to call a friend outside of the snowboarding world back home to help talk me out of me going into shock while I'm trying to prevent my friend from going into shock. It was just really tough to deal with. And I remember at the hospital after the competition happened, we still had to push through and do the competition the next day. Going to the hospital that she was at and her mom had driven down like 10 hours from Canada and her mom talking about maybe we have to talk to her about, you know, stepping away. She's had a lot of big injuries and I just, that struck a nerve with me and it made me think like, what if I had a like life changing injury and it didn't allow me to do other things that I'm passionate about. Didn't let me, you know, like this is it for my life or worse. Like what could it do for my family. So I remember spending the whole drive home back to Canada, just in tears and just like in silence in my car, just thinking. And that kind of led me to deciding that I think, you know, just saying to myself and accepting finally, like, I think maybe I, I don't want to do this anymore. After I made that decision, I said, I have to go all in on the rest of the season to, you know, no, I, I didn't leave this with regrets. So I did just that, but I could feel myself changing into someone I didn't want to be. I was pushing to see if I, I was pushing to see if I still loved it. I was trying to, you know, still get the best results. I think I came fourth at nationals that season. So not horrible result, but I just, it was, it was like, I, if I had a little neck pain, I would tell my coaches, I, I need to go down to physio. I have neck pain. Back in the day, I would just ride through anything. But then I was like, oh, I, it was like I was making excuses and I didn't want to be that person. And so it would make myself, it would make myself more harsh and critical again, like that same theme of myself, because then I was judging myself for like, oh, they're going to think that you're making excuses. They're going to think you don't have the passion or whatever, which truly like, uh, obviously I was, I was losing. It's funny because in hindsight, you know, hearing from them, they said that they didn't notice that at all. But it was in my head that I was like, I think they're judging me. I think they must think that I'm making these excuses. They're probably wondering what's going on with me. And so at the end of the season, um, I ended up calling it quits. That season, I got a concussion. I broke my ribs. You know, like I went through a lot to still stay in the sport and give it my all. But I ended up making the tough decision to walk away. And for the weeks after that, I don't think I could get through a day without crying or having a, some sort of panic attack. I remember going to the gym and someone asking me, Natalie, like, I heard you were, you're not snowboarding anymore. Like, why? I don't understand. Like, you're young. And I just remember, like, I couldn't deal with those conversations at that time. So I ended up, you know, going through really dark times. And so I went to my doctor and I was diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety. And I started going to therapy. And so therapy really helped me. I was able to you know, I had a lot of resentment towards the sport of snowboarding, I realized. And so I was able to write some of that stuff down and write a letter to my past self and to the sport in general, which was 
really healing. Uh, and I ended up at the end of that summer, just putting all my money together and going on a trip to Bali. But something that I, I talk on a lot of podcasts about my mental health journey and pretty open about it, but something that I haven't really shared is just how low things got that summer. Like at that point I was sharing with, you know, a couple of close friends and my family, of course, about my mental health journey. Uh, I think on the outside, I was spending six hours a day at the gym and people didn't really realize what was going on. But, um, you know, a few people I definitely let into my world and some people more than others, but no one really knew how, how bad things got. There was many days that I just like, I absolutely saw no future for myself. Like I had no idea what I would do. My identity was wrapped up in snowboarding. Clearly I had been going through a lot of mental health that caused me to, you know, lead away from the sport. And I think that's one of the hardest things is not knowing, was it that you were falling out of love with sport or was it, you know, you were going through depression when you were in the sport, like literally this chemical thing in your head and not knowing if, if it didn't happen, would you still be competing at the highest level? To me, looking back now, I know it was for the best. I know that was the, probably the best thing that would have ever happened to me because the way I was growing and the way I thought about my goals would have led me to say I even won the Olympics. I would never have been happy with that. Just the growth mindset I've developed since then was just, it's I'm grateful for it, but going through it, I might not be here today if it wasn't for going to therapy and my friends and my family because... I would be alone in my room and have really, really dark thoughts. And it was really scary. And I think one of the scariest things is knowing that this isn't you. Like knowing that I was such a happy-go-lucky kid and just like being in an entirely different space. It's like me, how I am now is just so good. that when I look back on that time, it's so scary seeing like how different I was. But equally in that time, I was aware of how different I was compared to like when I was a kid or before. Like there was a clear distinction of before and after the same way my healing process has taken me to looking at the before and after of, you know, the bad before and the good after before. And back then it was the opposite. It was like the bad, the good before and the bad after. So I scrounged up all my money that I had left. If anyone knows what being a national athlete is like, it's not super high paying until you are at the very, very, very best, best of the best. And so I scratched together all my money and I ended up going on like a soul searching trip to Bali. And if you guys know me now, I have a dog with that exact name. And yes, that's why it got her a year after that trip. And, um, because that trip really changed my life. And so has she as well. Uh, and so when I got there, I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like I don't have to be Natalie, the snowboarder. I don't have to try to please anybody. I can try to figure out who I am just myself. And so I spent a month just, you know, meditation, mindfulness, travel, adventure, surfing, all these things just on my own, making new friends, like learning how to be social. Uh, and it was just really great for me when I came back, I just felt like a new person, but Slowly and surely, the anxiety started creeping back, and I realized every day it was it was pretty hard to work through that anxiety. It was like just to get to a normal sense of self, I had this anxiousness to work through. So I ended up going to the doctor and taking her up on a previous offer she had made about you know starting medication, which I didn't want to do originally. 
started taking medication. What I did was I, I wouldn't advise anyone to do this, but I ended up like just taking it for a month or two. Uh, definitely this is not medical advice and not telling anybody that I was taking it. And so then I remember my parents after like a month or two, just saying, you seem so much better, so much happier, like so much more yourself. And that's when I told my mom, like, Hey, I've been taking this medication. I purposely didn't tell you guys because I wanted to see if you would notice a difference, not just like me telling you I'm taking medication. And then you just say a difference because it's in your head. Um, and so I ended up, you know, taking medication, uh, for a couple years. Uh, and then I was feeling a lot better and just in a better place in my life. And something that most people don't realize is, uh, so I, I started competing in the sport of CrossFit basically immediately after snowboarding kind of replaced one competition high for another. And in 2019, I was basically like kind of at my, my peak at the time of CrossFit. And I was competing in two sanctional, very high level events, one with a team in the UK in, I think it was February and the other one, uh, in end of April in Shanghai, which was individual that I had qualified for, which was really big for me. And so the first one was with my team. And I remember before I got there, I, I was sick. I had like bronchitis or something, which is pretty, pretty common for me just because I have asthma and different things. And the doctor prescribed me this prescription, but I didn't see my family doctor. I went to this other doctor. Um, that along with like just training supplements I was taking. Um, so that combo with like supplements and vitamins I was taking, uh, the prescription medication, uh, and then my SSRIs that I was taking for my depression and anxiety, they mixed and I basically ended up getting serotonin syndrome. So I remember just feeling very like a heightened anxiety, just like really weird, weird symptoms. And so the competition went okay. Uh, ended up being able to visit some family in Austria after I flew home, just felt like very off. So as I started leading up to this competition in China, I decided I was going to stop taking my medication, um, because I was really having these effects. And again, always consult your doctor, Clearly, this is not medical advice, and if so, it would be very bad medical advice. So always consult your doctor, especially with these types of medications. But I ended up stopping the medication, and I had horrible withdrawal. Horrible withdrawal. I ended up having to take weeks off training before this, you know, this biggest event of my my CrossFit career. I could not even drive. My boyfriend had to drive me because I was getting jitters and not jitters, like, um, electrical shocks in my head. It's so hard to describe, but it feels like what you look when you see a, a video of like someone putting a plug halfway into a socket and it's like shocking. That's what my brain felt like. And it was like happening like every like 15 seconds, like crazy shocks in my head. It was just so so weird, so surreal, these feelings. I had a ton of other weird and crazy side effects. So yeah, it was not safe for me to drive. I was also getting extremely lightheaded. Um, and that was something that was happening before I got low blood sugar and lightheadedness. Um, that was before I, I stopped taking it as well. And so it really affected my training going in. And so a lot of people maybe thought, you know, why didn't you perform so well in, in China? And it was because of that. I was dealing with this serotonin syndrome and then coming off my medication in those months between those two competitions. So I remember just showing up mentally being really 
ready for the competition, but just physically not. But over time, you know, I, I had an injury once I was over there. Uh, I fell off my motorbike, cat ran in front. And so I've been able to take, you know, the last two years basically without any competitions of any kind, especially with the pandemic. And what I've learned about myself is just so much. Like even CrossFit, in a sense, I was still doing it from that place of like, I need to replace what I didn't accomplish in snowboarding with this. And now I'm at a place where my worthiness is not tied to anything that I do. I realized who I am as a person, that I'm a human being over a human doing, and that like I've just refound that spark for life. Like I'm just in an entirely different headspace. And like if you are struggling as bad or worse or not not, you know, at any rate similar to what I was, I promise you you can make that complete 180. Because I'm proof that you can get back to being, you know, growing as a person, being at your best self, loving life. Like I wake up every day just so grateful to be here. Like sounds so silly, but like I'm, I go outside every morning and I'm just thankful for the sun, for the birds, like just things are good. And, uh, I wish for everyone to find that in their lives, whether they struggle with mental health or not, I think we can all get to that place of gratitude and enjoyment of life. I think that's where it's at. And I think it's just important to realize that you are worthy and you are enough without these accomplishments. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.